Good morning. Brill. So good to see the hustle and bustle and the conversations that's going on. I feel like the weather always brings out the best in us, doesn't it? Uh, Phil was mentioning about the weather this morning. And um, yeah, I'm not quite dressed for the weather. I feel like I'm overdressed. Some of the worship team are wearing shorts today and I felt like if I could join them, but I feel like I need to wear some straight pants as I stand before you. Just look smart. I'm sure you appreciate that. So today is June the 11th. And it is a significant day. You're thinking, what's so significant about this day? Around the world, there is things happening. Children will be born. You know, people are climbing Everest. Here we are sat in Encounter Church today. And it's so great. But on June the 11th in 2010, the 19th World Cup football tournament was played in South Africa. And it was the first tournament that was held on the continent. Anyone remember the Vuvuzelas? And the winners were Spain. If we go back a little bit further again, on June the 11th, 2002, the reality competition series, American Idol, was first aired. And it was the most watched TV show in the US. A little further back again, on June the 11th, 1982, for some of us older heads in here, Steven Spielberg's Spielberg, uh, blockbuster E.T., The Extraterrestrial, was released in theatres and it is widely seen as a classic. Lastly, on June the 11th, in 1509, Henry VIII wed one of his first wives, as many, it was Catherine of Aragon. This morning, I want to take you back even further to an encounter where a woman had with Jesus. Now, I can't guarantee that this was on June the 11th, but I just thought I'll bring that along with me. But he remarked that she had great faith. You know, the Bible only records two instances where Jesus commends people for their faith and says, great faith. So I've just said, the woman, this is the Syrophoenician woman in Mark's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, she's known as the Canaanite woman. Does anybody in here know the other time that Jesus remarked or commended someone saying they had great faith? That's right. It is a Roman sent. You probably learned that in Bible school, didn't you? No, I'm really joking. But yes, it is the Roman centurion. And he came to Jesus. And it wasn't a personal need that he had for himself, but he asked Jesus to heal his paralyzed servant. And he said what amazed Jesus about this encounter was that he said, Jesus, you only need to say a word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, that was great faith. Now, I want us to turn to the passage of scripture that we're going to read in Mark seven twenty-four to 30. Now, this morning I realized in the room there will be people in different places in their faith or on their faith journey. Some of you may have been Christians for many years. Others of you may be starting this adventure. For some of you, you're not sure what you believe. And to others, you feel like God is so close that you could just reach out and touch him. For some of us in here, we may feel that our faith is so low. And it's low in our heart. I pray that for whatever your situation, you may hear some of what I will bring today that will bring you hope and blessing into your life. I want us to read in Mark 7 and 24. If you turn there, I'm ready to go. 
So we read, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as he heard about him, as soon as she heard about him, I beg your pardon, a woman whose little daughter was possessed with an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syria, Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on a bed and a demon had gone. This story, once I said, is, can be found in Matthew's Gospel in 15. But we read earlier in the Gospel of Mark in 7 that Jesus has a forceful public confrontation with the religious leaders over what is clean and what is unclean. And quoting the prophet Isaiah, he says, he calls them hypocrites. He says that it's not what you ingest, it's not what you eat that makes you unclean, but it's what's in the heart. It's what comes out of the mouth that makes a person unclean. If you want to read in more detail, you can do that. That's found in the earlier part of the chapter of Mark 7. But we read that Jesus traveled to Tyre, and that's a Roman province in Syria, which is about 35 miles north of Capernaum. And we see that early in the chapter. That's where Jesus was. But he traveled. I mean, if you really want to get away, from anywhere, I think 35 miles is a good distance. Uh, and that's what Jesus, was, Jesus did. He was seeking to get away from the pressing crowd and the multitudes of people and the debates that he was going through. So we read that Jesus withdraws from Israel. You know, it's one of the only times that Jesus withdraws from Israel. And it's to a pagan land. Surely Jesus is going from the fire into the pan. Because Israel was seen as the holy city of God. He redraws. So a bit about Tyre. Tyre is modern-day Lebanon. And in the ancient Tyre where we see that located, that is where Jezebel um, in the Old Testament was tormenting the prophet Elijah. It was a place where it was steeped in pagan practices and rituals and idol worship. So once again, it wasn't exactly the perfect place for Jesus to find respite. But Mark writes that there he could not be hidden. He couldn't even be hidden in a pagan land. We read that there was a woman with a daughter with an unclean spirit that realized that Jesus was in the area. And Mark says that she came immediately to Jesus and fell down at his feet. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever moved in haste? Do you know what it means to run with urgency? I lived about 45 minutes from my school and the bus would arrive at 7.40. And if you got this bus, you would be on time. If you missed it, you'd be 45 minutes late to school. The margins were very, very thin. On the odd occasion, I must admit, I missed the 7.40 bus. Obviously not through any fault of my own. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. On multiple occasions, I missed the bus and I was late to school. But on one occasion, I was heading towards the bus stop, and it was about 7.35, so I felt, I'm five minutes early, great, I've got this 7.40 bus. 
But as I was 200 yards away from the bus stop, I could see the bus pulling in. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be late once again. So, you know what I did? I looked at myself and I thought, well, you know, I'm quite athletic enough. I could catch that. It's only 200 yards. So in great haste, I galloped. I chased as if I was being run after a predator. Nothing was going to stand in my way. Do you know what? Even people saw me running for the bus. I remember my school friends being on the bus and cheering me on. It felt like, you know, I felt like I was in the Olympics. Uh, And so there I was running and everything seemed to be going my way. And then there was an uneven pavement. Yeah. And everything started to go in slow motion. And uh, I leaped and I fell to my hands and to my knees, face first. And I could hear the bus close its doors. I could hear the laughters that were on that bus. It was not a day to remember for me. But you know what? As I sort of gathered myself together, you know, a bruised ego and embarrassment and uh, bruised knees and hands, I went to the bus stop and I didn't even bother look up at the bus stop. I just had my head low. And what should come along, five minutes late, the 7.40 bus. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, in your great haste, if you're ever in London, never run for the bus. Because they come in twos and they come late. But you know what? Much more pressing than my need to get a bus, such was the need of the lady, of the Gentile woman, that it caused her to pursue Jesus with urgency. We read in Matthew's gospel, she says, he fell face down at his feet. You know, falling down at someone's feet can be considered homage or an act of worship. And that is exactly what she did. She realized that she could only go to the greatest physician known to man. And that was Jesus. Matthew recounts the same story and he says it this way. But she came and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. You know, we're not told how long this, this lady's daughter had been suffering with an evil spirit. And you know what? At this point, it's not even important. It's not important to know those details. But what we do know is that she kept on pleading with Christ for his help. And she's doing this in the perspective that this might be her last hope for her daughter. Matthew writes that she persists. I don't think she said it once or twice to Jesus. She doesn't come and say to Jesus, Jesus, please heal my daughter. She was persistent. She was asking over and over and over again. She was intrusive so much that the disciples said, Jesus, just tell that lady to go away. Tell her to move on. What do we see from this interaction with Jesus and this woman? We see that Jesus turns and he addresses the woman. He says, let the children be filled first. Sounds good. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs or to the little dogs. You know, at first glance, just like me, you might gulp at that scripture and go, what? Jesus is calling this woman a dog? I mean, if I called my wife a dog, I'll be in the dog house. Um, And I don't encourage anyone else to call anyone dogs. You see, in those days, dogs were considered unclean and unfilthy. They were scavenging on, on the streets and they would eat anything that was waste. Jesus, also in Matthew's gospel in, seven, in 15, 7, says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. 
dogs were seen as impure, unclean. Surely Jesus isn't calling this lady or this poor lady who's come to seek his help a, a little dog. Well, in ancient times, there were dogs, as I said, and the Greek name for them was kuon. So you're going to learn a little bit of Greek today. And kuon refers to a wild animal. The woman was a Greek Syrophoenician by birth. And in that time, in those ancient times, non-Jews were considered so unspiritual and not in tune with the real God that even being in their very presence would make you unclean. However, we notice that Jesus doesn't use the term kuon, but he uses the diminutive term kunarian. When he says little dogs, he's not referring to the street dogs, but rather the domesticated household dogs. So I love it when we was here and we said cats or dogs, most of you said dogs. So we might have appreciated it when Jesus called her a little dog. But this is totally different from the word kuon. Totally different. It's not referring to her being unclean or being unspiritual. We see that Jesus does not hold on to traditions of culture and regard the woman as unclean. He uses the term little dogs. So who are the children in this passage of scripture? The children are Israel because God had made a covenant with them and he promised to send them a Messiah, a savior to deliver them back to Israel when they were out in exile. And through the prophet Jeremiah in 32 and 28, he says this, I will return them to this place, that's Israel, and make them dwell in safely, safety. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Jesus' first duty was to Israel and not to the Gentiles. Now, with the disciples watching on, Jesus has to explain his ministry in a way that both the disciples would understand and also the woman could understand. She's not one of the children. She's not of Israel. She wasn't born in the house of Israel. And if you've ever been in a household where there is a pet, pet dog, you'll soon realize that dogs and humans eat at different times. Pets have their own food and dogs have their own food. But I don't know if you've ever been around to someone who has a dog they were, and they're about to serve dinner. They say, just one minute, I'm going to serve dinner. Let me put the dog away. And Emily and I frequently visit friends of ours who have or had a dog. And the dog was Meg. And Meg, every time it was mealtime, would be put out um, as the humans would eat their food. But it wouldn't take a second for somebody to head towards the door, slightly open it ajar, and Meg would come running through. And it happened on quite a few occasions. Um, I remember one time I was sitting and having my meal, and Meg had made her way into the room while we were eating. And she looked at me longingly with puppy eyes, um, hoping that I might give her some food. I didn't give her any food. Um, she's got her own food, and I've got my own food, um, is what I looked at. But she did go to her owner. And what was left of his plate, the fat, maybe little bits of... Um, vegetables that maybe he didn't want to eat he sort of just tossed it to the side and like a vacuum that dog just swept in and ate all the fat jesus says let the children first be filled the point that jesus is making here is that she had no legitimate expectation of his help but you know what with a remarkable insight and persistent her response was not to be deterred 
but rather to continue to press into Jesus. That she responds quite wittily, actually. She says, even the dogs get the crumbs off of the children. Her response that day proved that she fully understood what Jesus was saying. Jesus wasn't calling her a dog, but he was talking about the situation. He was first called to the Jews. But yet she had enough conviction in her heart to ask anyway. Now, a well-renowned theologian, American theologian, R.C. Sproul, says this in his commentary on the story. He said her reply was that dogs could eat the leftovers of whatever was given to the children. She did not contest her status as a dog. Rather, she pointed out the reality of what happened in those days in Jewish households that included dogs. Just one crumb is what she was contending for from Jesus. Jesus said, it's better for the children to eat first. And he was ministering to his disciples. Just one crumb. In Matthew 15 and 28, Jesus responds to this woman's response. He says, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed at that very hour. From this lady, we see that she persists or she persisted. She didn't give up. She wasn't going to be deterred. She recognized that Christ was her last hope. So what are the things that we can learn from this lady and her interaction with Christ? There are three points that I feel that we should take away from this interaction. Firstly, she had great spiritual insight. It would have been so easily just to hear Jesus say, well, I can't toss it to the dogs, that she would have gone, oh, well, I'm a dog, so I shouldn't eat. But she had great insight seeing that Christ had come to the Jews. But if she even had a little bit of what he had to offer, that her daughter would be delivered. She had enough faith that even the crumb was enough to deliver her daughter. She realized that Jesus had come to town and she wanted every bit of him. She wasn't going to let traditions or cultures get in her way. And you know what I think this morning? We can take a page out of her book, can't we? You know, just as the widow in the parable that Jesus told, who persistently pleaded with the unjust judge. Here was a Gentile woman pleading with Jesus. You know, and I love that parable because it tells us a bit about the heart of God. It says that God is unlike the unjust God. Jesus says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? The answer is yes. And he finds faith in this Syrophoenician woman. And he says, great faith. Great faith. Secondly, that we can learn about the Syrophoenician woman is that she shows us what faith and humility look like together. Mark wrote that when she heard that Jesus was in town, she sought him immediately and fell face down at his feet. You know, her request wasn't to be first place, but she believed that Christ was for her as well. Great faith is seeing 
one's complete dependence on God. God, would you give us great faith? Thirdly, the woman demonstrated that great faith seeks the welfare for others. You know, I noticed on the two occasions that Jesus witnesses great faith in his ministry. The requests that they came with were not personal requests. The centurion was requesting for his male servant, and the Syrophoenician woman was requesting for her daughter. You know, they both interceded on the behalf of others. And in the woman's case, she wasn't content until she got the answer. So I told you who the children were. Who are the Cunarians? You know, we were once the Cunarians, the household pets, not quite the children of God, sat at his table feasting. But we're encouraged that in Romans it does say that Christ died once for all. So whether you're Jew or you're Gentile or you're something in between, Christ says that we are now partakers of his inheritance, that we are partakers of his inheritance through grace. And I'm encouraged by Hebrews 11, which says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who seeks him must first believe that he exists and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The Syrophoenician woman had a great need. So great that she ran immediately to Christ. So great that she wasn't going to allow traditions, culture, get in her way. So great that she wasn't going to be deterred by, you know, the idea that Christ wasn't for her firstly. But she persisted. And, you know, we can learn from her interaction with Christ. We are no longer just... Canarians. We're not just the household pets. But Christ has called us in that we are children and that we could feast at his table. This morning I have spoken at you and it may feel like a barrage of what great faith looks like. But I want to tell you today that great faith is one's dependence solely on God. It's a posture of our heart and a renewing of our mind that only comes through Christ Jesus. That we look to him. He's the reason why we are partakers, why we are no longer just the household pets, but we are called sons and daughters of God. I wonder if the band could come up. You know, if you're sat here this morning and you don't know who Christ is, or you don't know where you are standing in your faith, I want to say this morning that Christ is inviting you to his table. He's inviting you to no longer just live off the scraps no longer just live in tradition, but he's inviting you to relationship. Come and have a seat at his table. Come and be one of the children. For others in this room, there may be, 
you know, never mind great faith. Lord, just give me faith in this situation. You might be going through a difficult period. It might be in your faith. It might be in your career. It might be in a relationship. I want to say that you could come to Jesus immediately. And for the rest of us, I want to give us this challenge if you don't fall into those categories. Is who are we praying for? Who are we contending for? That they may turn to Christ or return. Let's not give up, but continue bring them before God. As we just maybe bow our heads now in this time of reflection. Once again, if you are sat here this morning and you don't know Christ, he's inviting you to come and have a seat at his table. You're not the household pet, but you too can be a child. Maybe you want to step out into that today. And you could respond by, maybe by showing a hand while every head is bowed and eyes closed. You might respond to that and put your hand up and say, Lord, that is me. I no longer want to just live off the scraps. But I want to know Christ. I want to be seated at the table. I want to be known by him and know him. For others, it might be, once again, that we are praying in great faith. We are praying in faith for our loved ones, for colleagues, for friends who do not know Christ. Maybe now you could, while you're sat there, maybe utter their name, even quietly. Christ knows what's on your heart and your mind. Maybe you could even say that name out. Who's that person that you've been praying for, that God's laid on your heart? Or even now he's laying on your heart that you could contend for. And for the last group, they may be here saying, great faith, I just need faith in this circumstance, this situation, in what you're going through. It might be a difficult period, but I want to know that Christ is for you, even now. I wonder if we could rise to our feet. That's everybody. It'd be good if you're able to. And I'm going to pray for those three categories of people. Lord, we come to you face down, just like the woman did. She recognized that her need could not be satisfied in other things, but only you. She recognized her dependence on you. She wasn't satisfied with the way things were. I pray, Lord, that you would stir that in us this morning and you begin to stir that in us this morning. For those in the room 
who don't know you, Lord, or who have some idea of who you are, come to church and maybe not in a relationship with you or know you as a personal saviour. I pray for them, Lord, as you stand at the door knocking, that they would open their heart to you. And Lord, that they would step out and receive all that you have for them and take a seat at your table. Lord, your grace is sufficient. Lord, I pray for those who are going through difficult times, Lord, whether it be in faith, career, Lord Jesus, their relationships, whatever it be, Lord, their health. I pray, Lord, that you would gather others around them as well, Lord. That their dependence would be on you, that they could come to you. And we bring them to you now, Lord, every need. Lord, you are the all-sufficient one, the greatest physician. All wisdom and knowledge and power is in you. Lord, I also pray for the rest of us here. Some of the people that you've laid on our hearts, Lord, it might be a family friend, it might be a neighbor, it might be a sibling. As we uttered their names to you, Lord, we know you have heard our prayer. You've heard our cry. Lord, we will, not conti- we will not give up, but we will continue bring them before you. That they would have an encounter with you and be changed. Lord, teach us this day that great faith isn't just about a belief. It's a posture in our heart and it recognizes our complete dependence on you this morning. I pray that you would raise our level of faith, whatever it be, whatever we're waiting and seeking you for, that you would raise our faith before you. That we could trust you in all circumstances, that you would lead us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the band are going to lead us in a final song. And uh, it'd be great if we sing that.